the right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. From Atlanta, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. James, today we're wrapping up our Urban Logistics series. Uh, I like to call this one the uh, Big Brown episode because we're delving into what it is UPS is actually doing to meet the challenges of urban logistics. That's right. The first one hit the problem. The second one, we delved into the solutions through, through the lens of MIT. If you missed that, you'll want to check that out. And now we're landing on kind of the boots on the ground episode of what is UPS actually doing? Yeah, and here's here's who we're talking to to answer that very question. Uh, the first guest today, one of two, is Thomas Madrecki. He is the Director of Urban Innovation and Mobility at UPS. On a side note, he also has a great TED Talk you guys might want to check out. Uh, but Tom is going to get into the nuts and bolts of urban planning, why it's so important, why it shouldn't be seen as boring, and why things as small as curbs can make a major difference. And we've also got Peter Harris. He's director of our sustainability for UPS in in Europe. He's going to look at this through the lens of what's sustainable, what can we actually do that's executable and repeatable. So let's get to Tom and Peter and what it is UPS is going to do to confront this challenge head on. We appreciate you guys joining us. We have uh, Tom Madrecki and uh, Peter Harris from UPS. Thanks for dropping in to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here, guys. We appreciate it. I think this will be a very fitting conclusion to our look at the future. It's a popular place these days. We're specifically in this series talking about the the cities of the future and what role urbanization will have on how the, they're created and, and how they'll function. We've had some great conversations so far, but what we would like to do is really kind of dig into some of the things that UPS is doing. Yeah, the brown Kool-Aid, so to speak, the UPS way. I think this will be good because we talked a lot about how companies are going to need to be the ones bringing their resources and expertise, and we can talk about it, but if... uh, you know, we don't walk the walk too, then what good are we? That's right. We'll start off with a question for you, Tom. In in your role, what are some of the things that you're starting to see in, in terms of how businesses are kind of docking into these bigger plans for creating cities of the future? This is very much a work in progress. That it, we're talking about cities of the future. It's really about cities and companies coming together, having partnerships perhaps with academic allies or outside external stakeholders. They're really experts in the field to really all sit down and think about how do you account for the fact that by 2050, more than or approximately 60% of the world's population is going to be urban. And those people in an e-commerce environment are going to be ordering a lot of packages, and they're going to want those packages relatively expediently. And there's a lot of strain and demand on a traditional operating network. And so what we need to do is really sit down with cities and think about Um, How do you manage your curbside? How do you better integrate modes of transportation, especially as cities want to be more walkable and bikeable? Um, So you have have different demands on the transportation network there. And then on our side, it's really reimagining how do you deliver in a city environment that's very dense? Is is the way that we 
we've always delivered or we think about the way that, you know, an iconic brown package car goes down the street, um, is that actually the most efficient mode? And so there's a lot of different interplay between cities and you, companies like UPS and then uh, academic partners as well that needs to take shape in order to facilitate those future solutions. Peter, let me ask you this. Uh, it's obviously a massive problem, uh, and it's something that we all have to tackle collectively. Tangibly speaking, though, if you were building kind of a to-do list of the top priorities for how UPS can tackle this challenge, what would you put at the top? agree with Tom that this is a work in progress and we absolutely do not have uh, all the answers at this stage but I, I do think you can break the problem down into essentially two key parts and that's sometimes helpful in terms of getting to the right answers that the, the, the first key part is how do we do what we do in a conventional sense as efficiently as possible that allows us to then reduce the number of trucks we're using, reduce the miles, reduce the emissions, reduce the congestion, make the city operate without fundamentally changing the nature of our business. How can we do what we already do but uh, drive the efficiency agenda forward? That's problem number one. Uh, we could talk a lot about that. There are a lot of uh, uh, new technologies coming into that arena that are really quite exciting. But there's a second whole piece, which is uh, equally important, that, that layers on top of that efficiency challenge, which is... How do you go beyond efficiency and do things in a completely different way, in ways that don't use diesel and in some cases don't even use trucks? And that's where we would start to talk about uh, all new ideas around uh, cycle logistics and uh, electric vehicles and smart grids and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think it's sometimes helpful to, uh, to break the problem down in those two, in those two ways, and that, that would be the... Yeah, the, the, the way I would approach it in terms of a wish list. You kind of mentioned there that we're working more with institutions, educational institutions, and that's what Matthias told us in the last podcast. Who are some of the, you know, who are some of the leaders in that kind of world, and how are they engaging companies like UPS? Well, you mentioned Matthias at MIT. His lab, the Megacities Logistics Lab, is really doing some exciting work in this space. Um, you have people like Barb Ivanoff at uh, the University of Washington's Urban Freight Lab. Rensselaer Polytechnic University is, is doing some cool work in this space as well. And then you also have companies like McKinsey that are looking at just in terms of the solutions that they're able to provide or the, the consulting expertise that they're able to lend. So there's a lot of different folks that are doing some interesting work, I would say. But in terms of engagement uh, with companies like UPS, so UPS is a partner, a founding member of the, the University of Washington's Urban Freight Lab. But I would say that a lot of the, the interesting research is taking place. And when I say interesting, it's pretty geeky and nerdy, like a transportation perspective or from like a last 50 feet of delivery perspective. Um, so you have graduate students, for example, literally timing how long a freight elevator stays open to think about, could you optimize, like what is the optimal length of time that an elevator should stay open so that uh, somebody with a hand card can get in, but then it doesn't stay open so long that it's delaying that person from going up to, to make their deliveries. Or how does the door function uh, in terms of the outside, right? So that, you know, can you, can you get through a building quickly? Because all of that, that interplay in that last 50 feet of delivery affects how long a truck is parked on a curbside, which is something that a city then cares a lot about. I'll give you another example. UPS partnered uh, this past summer uh, with Georgetown University. They have an urban planning graduate program. Uh, they also have a data science program. And so we sort of formed a joint summer studio class with their data science students, with their urban planning students, and then also partnered with the Washington, D.C.'s Department of Transportation to sort of 
pool together a bunch of real-world data, both from UPS, in terms of the delivery in three neighborhoods, Cleveland Park, the Navy Yard, and Georgetown, and uh, sort of compiled all of that data along with some, some information from the DC DOT, and let the students sort of like run wild with that to say, how could you reduce congestion and optimize delivery just with this set of data? And the results that we got were really sort of inspiring. You have students that have never had any, like no back background in logistics, um, but they were proposing ways to even further optimize Orion, for example, by instead of tracing routes geographically or grounding them that way, that you would actually ground routes based on the the topology of the the built environment. So you could have a retail corridor route or a sort of business-centric route or a neighborhood route, and then based on that, you could select the optimal delivery vehicle um, or the, the, the actual mode of delivery to sort of capture any miss, missing efficiency. So some of it is just comes down to supplying eager, bright minds with the, the right information. Tom, first of all, I want to issue kind of a disclaimer for all future guests on Longitudes Radio. You never have to apologize for being geeky. Uh, <laughs> if you did that... We like nerd if that, stuff. If that were an issue, we would not have a podcast, <laughs> I assure you. So uh, that's not a problem at all. Uh, uh, Peter, I was going to ask you too, because I think this is kind of a good segue. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of this is about numbers and actual reduction of carbon emissions. Could you kind of contextualize what UPS has done to date and what you expect in the years ahead? So you're right that it is a lot about numbers, and I think it helps that UPS is essentially a company of engineers. We have a long history of providing an engineered solution to the problem of logistics, and essentially that's what this challenge is all about. So uh, the, 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 the challenge of being sustainable, or, or at least the challenge of, of being efficient in order to be sustainable, that's been one that we've been tackling for, for decades. It's not new to us at all. And it, it starts with some really quite basic stuff in terms of just the way you design your operating model. The, the, the fact that we have a globally integrated hub and spoke network that allows us to make sure that the, the assets that we use, whether they are aeroplanes or trains or ships or uh, delivery vehicles on the road can all be uh, optimized in terms of their size. In other words, we're able to fill them. Uh, that, that goes a huge way towards making what we do uh, efficient and reducing the emissions and congestion uh, that, uh, that are generated as a result. And our, uh, our ambitions you know, haven't stopped there. We've, we've made huge progress also on that second piece of the agenda that I, that I mentioned, going beyond efficiency into different ways of doing things with a an alternative fuel fleet that we call our rolling laboratory of, of over 8,000 vehicles. So yeah, we, we, we've come a long way, and I think we've, we've picked a lot of the low-hanging fruit. There's still a long way to go uh, to, uh, to tackle the, uh, the, uh, the full breadth of the sustainability challenge. But we're on the right road, and, and I think we understand the scale of the problem. And as technologies emerge, we're, we're ready to, to grasp them and stay at the leading edge to... Uh, to confront the challenge. So, Tom, I, I kind of want to get back to the geeky stuff here. Um, Shocker. <laughs> uh, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, this kind of being more in the lab right now. You, we've got students at universities, professors who are looking at this, at the issues all along the delivery cycle. But are, are we starting to see some of this roll into what we're actually doing in cities? So maybe we can kind of shift in that direction of maybe more practical of what are some of the things that we're actually employing right now? Well, and I know that Peter's in a great position to 
difference because the cities in Europe, I would just say, are leading the way when it comes to thinking about these issues, mostly because of you know, a lot of them are older, you have sort of medieval town squares or cities or city streets that are winding. It's difficult to bring a you know a traditional larger vehicle down them anyway. Uh, and then you also have air quality issues dating back to some of the use of diesel in in the 90s, sort of the embrace, Europe's embrace of diesel technology then as an allegedly clean fuel that sort of has lingering effects today. Europe, in sort of their, their regulatory approach and how they're thinking about this, is is pushing for, for different restrictions, different ways of doing business on the part of companies like UPS. And in turn, uh, we now have 20-plus pilot projects or tests of different technologies. For example, our e-trike that was first sort of pioneered and pushed in the city of Hamburg that's really met with a ton of success, and I'm sure that Peter can expound on that as he's in, in the in the operational teams there and in the sustainability group there has really achieved a lot with that model and, and actually rolling out the next iteration of that soon. I'd say that the way that U.S. cities have sort of always thought of themselves and then the, the importance of an automobile, right, so to the to the U.S. mindset impacts the, the way or the shape that a lot of this is taking place in the U.S. And so right now, UPS is already looking at partnerships with certain cities around the U.S. We've uh, tested in e-trike in Portland, just north of our border. We just rolled out an e-trike in Toronto. And there's more to come just in terms of the types of solutions that we're looking at. It's all, and when we talk about solutions, it's not just e-trikes. It also starts to include things like alternative delivery points, access points, or locker technology. One of the, one of the, in the interesting things with uh, urban delivery and sort of the space as a whole is that the solutions run an incredibly wide gamut. So you have things like the, the sort of the, the physical vehicle, right, that you can change. So you can think about, is it, an, is it an electronic vehicle? Is it a hybrid electric vehicle? You sort of start to think about all the different ways that a vehicle can be conceptualized. You could start to incorporate things like, does drone technology fit? Does robot or rover technology fit? You could have lockers. You could have access points. You could have things like my choice or ways of looking at data to actually impact consumer demand and how people order. I always give this example, the handcart even. Um, the handcart basically in its design hasn't changed at all since whatever standardized industrial model was produced in the UPS purchases. So could we design a better handcart? And could that then enable people to move more expediently in cities? Or the other example that I actually use a lot with cities too is that the actual curb side, right? You think about a curb, a lot of packages go, you know, on a handcart have to go up and over a curb. So just the simple addition of additional curb cuts into the side of a street can actually make the delivery process much faster, which could increase efficiency. If those curb cuts are put in the right space, which then goes back to sort of that big data question of, do you, can you optimize where those curb cuts go or could you optimize where loading zones go based on sort of deployment of big data? So there's a lot of uh, interesting questions that we, we're asking ourselves. Tom, I got to tell you, as a teenager who operated a handcart in a warehouse every day and did so with very mixed results, I would have appreciated that level of innovation and questioning <laughs> yeah. back in the day. It would have made my life much easier. Um, I, I'm curious, Peter, what, what are, from your perspective, because Tom mentioned that you're you know, working uh, on the ground, are there certain projects or initiatives in Europe that stand out to you? So Tom's right that a lot of the, uh, the the new thinking on this is in Europe, but but he's also right that a lot of the reasons for that are because we kind of created our own problems over here. So yeah, the, the, the headlong rush towards the use of diesel uh, over the past two decades has given us an air quality problem. 
Um, and as Tom says, we have you know, some pretty old cities over here that just aren't suited to you know, uh, modern, large uh, goods vehicles. So, yeah, we kind of have to be, be thinking about these things. So, so in terms of what, what really works, yeah, I, I, I think it's, there, there, are some, there are some great ideas out there on the horizon. But in terms of what we can do today that can be really effective, I would nominate uh, a few different technologies. Let me pick a couple here. So firstly, the electric vehicle. There's a great synergy between urban logistics and electric vehicles. So some of the, the challenges that EVs have in terms of range uh, and the need to be uh, plugged in for a long time to recharge, they all kind of fit with urban logistics. Uh, we, we, we operate relatively short routes. Our vehicles are packet-based. They can be plugged in overnight. So EVs work well for us. But there are challenges with making them work that, that are essentially engineering challenges that we've been tackling. So, for example, the, uh, the vehicle manufacturing sector doesn't make vehicles of the type that we need in electric form. So we've been busy uh, creating our own solutions to that, that problem. We've, uh, we've developed a conversion program from diesel to electric of existing vehicles, and we're now partnering with a small manufacturer to develop a, a kind of a, 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 an innovative way around the problem from scratch, thinking how, how, do you, how would you uh, design a, an electric vehicle from zero if you threw away the diesel rulebook? So a lot of that is going on. There's, there's a big challenge with power supply infrastructures that we've been working with and developing things called smart grids, which are more intelligent ways of using the power that comes into your building. So uh, all of that's kind of circulating around this this concept of the electric vehicle, which I think will continue to be very powerful. And another one that I would certainly nominate that, that Tom already uh, touched on there is the, the whole concept of cycle logistics. So you know, you, it's not uh, instinctively a, a great fit when when you look at carrying a lot of, uh, in some cases, quite large physical goods around. You don't immediately think about bicycles uh, or tricycles, uh, but it turns out that it can work really well. Uh, as long as you get the operating plan right and you get the choice of technology right. So you have to find a way to shift what it is that is going to be delivered into the city first. You can't operate a tricycle from an out-of-town uh, delivery operation, which is where a lot of our delivery centers are, are based that our trucks operate from. But if you can physically move that the, the goods to be delivered into the city center and station them in a, in a mini-depot, uh, or a, an eco-hub, as we sometimes call it, which could be a container, could be a trailer, could be a storage room, then it's surprising how effective uh, tricycles, uh, especially if they're electrically assisted, can be in operating from those, uh, from those mini-depots, because uh, in, in many cases what you find is that the conventional truck is restricted in what it can do. It has to park a long way from the end, end customer because it can't. Uh, park where it wants to park. The tricycle is not restricted in that regard. A lot of uh, cycle lanes uh, are, are available now in, in, in Europe in particular that our e-trucks can access, that the trucks can't. Even some pedestrianised areas uh, are accessible to uh, to tricycle solutions. So the, the, the trike ends up being surprisingly efficient. And, of course, it is also yeah, to the core of the, the challenge here. It is it is uh, it, it emits uh, nothing and it uh, and it doesn't generate the congestion that a, that a truck generates. I have a, an approach question for both of you, and I'll I'll start with Peter. I, I wanted to ask, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I am sensing a tinge of optimism uh, from both of you in terms of solutions and our ability to actually get something done. Uh, I'm curious how much of that is shaped by the fact that so many of these solutions 
are local-based. And by that, I mean without antagonizing our friends in Washington, it can be really difficult to get something big done on a national scale. Are you encouraged that some of the most wide-ranging solutions do seem to be coming from the local level and working their way up? Yeah, I think that's actually uh, um, an important point. Certainly, in my observation, uh, cities can be quite dynamic places to to work. City mayors uh, recognize that they need solutions to problems like emissions and congestion because they they are fundamental to whether or not their city uh, remains attractive to businesses and to residents so uh, so they're 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 prepared and determined to do uh, if necessary quite radical things to to make to make that happen and they can respond perhaps in some cases more rapidly and more uh, more flexibly than uh, the national or regional governments can uh, which tend to be subject to more uh, more bureaucratic uh, machinations so yeah, I think the, the, the city is an exciting place to, to work. There, there's a challenge, though, or there are a number of challenges. But one of one of the big challenges is, is that, of course, it's it's in, in, inherently a very decentralised environment. So whilst there is some collaboration between cities and there are various sharing groups that exist to facilitate that, like C40, uh, the mayors also value their independence and they like to be able to uh, do things in different ways and uh, stamp their own... Uh, their own brand on different types of solutions. So, for an organisation like us that operates like UPS that operates globally, that, yeah, that's that's a big complexity because I don't know how many cities there are in the world, but it's it's uh, many many thousands, and uh, it becomes very challenging for us to work uh, individually with all of them. So, yeah, I think the the way forward, therefore, for us is is really about determining uh, a kind of a menu so that we can operate with different cities in different ways, but within a framework that we've determined to be broadly the, the most effective way forward from a generic perspective, and then we, we would tailor that uh, that generic framework depending on the particular circumstances that we're in. So uh, a lot of um, a, a lot of ex- exciting uh, work to be done, but certainly the city space is a, a great place to be in terms of dynamism. Yeah, and Tom, do you have uh, any thoughts on any advantage the local perspective might have? You know, the ability to brainstorm, to have a conversation, to think about the problems affecting cities, city government and the way that cities are sort of structured and are prone to, I think, attracting both politicians and then staff that's very forward, you know, thinking. It lends itself to sort of innovation and uh, pilot project testing to not, not that their city is a, a playground for new technology, but that it is a an opportunity to sort of see like what works, what doesn't, to, to analyze, to assess it, uh, and then to then recommend or to establish or in some cases, you know, over the course of working in different cities, what are the best practices in urban delivery or in congestion mitigation that can then be shared with other cities and then multiplied out. And so a lot of our, you know, engagement strategy and how we think about which cities to partner with, it's all informed by that sort of uh, dynamic aspect, as Peter mentioned, about how cities operate and work together. The challenge, like Peter said, is also that it is decentralized. And and as part of that, every city operating environment is entirely unique. And so when we're trying to solve city problems, every problem in a way has its own, you know, we we can identify aspects of it that are similar to other environments, and we try to do that by defining neighborhood topologies or characteristics of the built environment that are similar between this retail corridor and that retail corridor and then, you know, the one in New York or, or wherever. 
and there's some way of, of starting to codify or say, oh, th this suite of solutions fits this type of environment and this suite of solutions fits this type of environment, but every city is fundamentally different. And so the exact deployment of solutions and the, the recommended uh, regulations or processes or things that we could, uh, levers that we could pull are going to always be different as well. And so that it's both fun and challenging, I guess, is the best way of putting it. So could you guys describe, and maybe I'll hit you first, Tom, with this, is could you describe kind of how we interact with other companies that are being engaged by, like, let's say if MIT is is starting a project in City X, you know, we're brought in and we're doing some things that might affect entree to buildings. What about the the companies that are actually building those buildings? You know, what kind of interaction do you guys have, or is it through the university? So a lot of this, I would say, in addition to universities, there's sort of different incubators or accelerator labs. You know, you have all this sort of Silicon Valley talk about, like, how do you collaborate and bring together the private sector to work on and, in, and engage with cities on issues of uh, importance? I'll give you an example. In Chicago, there's a group uh, called UI Labs, City Digital, that convened a recent uh, workshop around urban logistics and brought together some various folks, including UPS, FedEx. Uh, sort of startups called uh, one of them is called Sherpa that do some some more like innovative or uh, like new new age ways of delivering and then also companies though like Mastercard that have a stake in cities. One of the outcomes of that is that by collaborating with different private sector entities, including somebody that's outside the delivery space like Mastercard, would there be a way to by using UPS data, by using Mastercard data, by using city data to think about ways to influence or change consumer demand when it comes to e-commerce, or could you? What are the sort of the levers that you could pull to incentivize somebody to bundle shipments or to change the, even the day that they place the order or the day that the order ships or do they need it directly sent to their home or could they would they be willing to accept it at a consolidated delivery locker or something like that? So then thinking about like you know all those things and then I'll give you another example is you know there's a lot of opportunity to. Um, to think about partnering with developers when it comes to real estate or to apartment buildings, especially in cities, because as e-commerce surges, you have a lot of residents to these buildings ordering packages. There's frankly no room for the packages to go because package room space to most developers is not the, the optimal use of their money because they want to you know, get the, the best bang for their buck. But at the same time, they need to acknowledge that you know, the packages do need to go somewhere and that for UPS or another delivery company to go door to door within that apartment building could contribute significantly to the on-road uh, congestion issue or, a, you know, a truck parked outside or something like that as we go door to door inside. So working with large real estate developers or the multifamily housing council or other or other entities like that there's also an opportunity to think about like, what's going on in that in that inside space of an apartment building and how how can we create amenities for residents that allow for their uh, e-commerce uh, ordering habit and that uh, sort of mutually benefit everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and Peter, what does collaboration look like for you so far in your projects? Have you gone to the table and, you know, you're working with a, a city and you have the different companies to your left and right? You know, what do, what does the collaboration look like for you? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a many-faceted uh, thing. Yeah, Tom's given some good examples. Let me give you uh, a, a, an example of, of uh, some of our uh, current ongoing collaboration initiative. So 
Yeah, we, we spoke a lot about cities, and they're really important in this in this space. But actually, national government has a role to play here as well. And, and so, there's an organisation, for example, called Innovate UK, which is part of uh, the UK government's um, uh, Department for Business, and it it is a collaboration platform. Uh, and that we've actually found it to be uh, an effective way of, of joining up with other potential partners to work on, uh, for example. Uh, electric vehicles, smart grids, cycle logistics, and other areas. So we're, we're uh, engaged uh, in an Innovate UK platform right now with a an electric vehicle converter, a distribution network operator. That's an organisation that, that manages and constructs local electricity grids, and as a consortium of London uh, local boroughs all working together with, with UPS under the auspices of Innovate UK uh, to uh, develop a, uh, a more effective way of uh, getting power to electric vehicles in a, uh, in a dense urban environment. So yeah, that, that kind of thing is going on, and, and uh, it, it, it's really just a case of, of horses for courses. There, there are some other partnerships which are simple tandem arrangements, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, just the just UPS working directly with the city. It's a case of defining what is it, that, what is the problem that you're trying to solve, um, and and who is the most uh, um, innovative and uh, imaginative and willing partner in the space. Now, there's, there's no sense trying to set out to work with somebody who's uh, not going to be able to think outside the box, uh, but uh, finding that most willing and appropriate partner and then uh, structuring the arrangement around that. Uh, Tom, as we're uh, winding down here, I kind of want to give you a full opportunity to geek out as much as you want. Uh, I know you've been clamoring to do it, uh, but you keep you you kept talking about curbside management. I know this is uh, at the risk of going too in the weeds. I'm curious, what is good curbside management? And then, secondly, when you go to cities, right, and you're traveling around the world, do you find yourself literally walking around the streets? observing curbs and remembering what cities beat others in terms of curbside management? How, how far does this go with you? So Peter and I were just in Paris, and throughout the event, I was periodically mapping between two points on my phone just to conceptually see whether it was faster to walk, bike, take transit, or drive um, in a city as hyperdense as Paris because I'm just that nerdy and really wanted to make various notes and observations to myself. So when we talk about curbside management, basically you have a lot of demand for the curbside throughout cities. So you have people that want to park, you have um, perhaps a bike lane, you have uh, sidewalks or you have retail corridors along those sidewalks and you have shop owners that want people to go to their stores. So do they, they hypothetically want a loading zone out in front for their goods to arrive, but they might also want personal vehicle parking out front so that people can get to their store. And you have a bus that wants to come through, so you have a city interest. And so there's a lot of just like competing demand or uses for the, the physical space that can only be occupied by at any given point by, by one vehicle or one thing, right? It's limited in terms of its capacity. And so uh, some of this comes down to then how do you design and sort of think through just like what happens on a daily basis to better manage that demand. So do you have a separated bike lane or do you have a integrated bike lane or how do you combine different transportation modes? And, and a lot, some cities get it right, some cities get it wrong. And a lot of it is just, it's like a, there's 
transportation engineer design theory or, you know, different ways of even building a street or thinking about it. And some of it's just common sense, quite frankly, like sort of going through the the operating or like the, the, the mode sort of thing of like what plays out in this situation or how does this work? But then a lot of times when we think about what does a city of the future look like, and going back to that sort of original frame of the of this whole conversation, D.C., which we've really been engaged with their D.C. Department of Transportation a lot, uh, recently looked at the number of loading zones compared to the number of personal vehicle spaces in the district, and the number is something like one in five, one compared to 500. So for every one loading zone, you have about 500 personal vehicle spaces, and in a city of the future, that type of ratio is frankly unworkable because as people shift to e-commerce, their need for a personal vehicle should hypothetically go down. And you know, like the, the curbside use, it should no longer just facilitate Bob pulling up out in front of the shop in Georgetown and going inside. Actually, some of that personal vehicle parking along the really congested retail corridor should be repurposed for uh, loading zones, perhaps even automated enforcement loading zones. Um, you can imagine something, a situation of the future where you have like almost like uh, sensor-equipped and red light camera-equipped loading zones that allow for auto enforcement of that loading zone. You have new transportation network providers like Uber and Lyft that are competing for the curbside, so maybe they have a spot or a pickup spot. You have public transit. You have bike lanes. And so the actual curbside in the future starts to look very different than it does today, where you just have sort of a row of vehicles along the side. There's a lot of other perhaps better uses of that curbside that a city could employ. It's politically challenging, though, for a lot of cities, right? Because the first person that's going to push back is the neighborhood commission that says, hey, you're taking away our parking. But that is, I think, frank, like quite frankly, where the biggest gains can be made in terms of managing congestion and just the flow of traffic. I think when we, speaking of cities of the future, when we set off to uh, to really do this series, we, Brian and I were thinking Jetsons for, for those who are fans, uh, but definitely definitely not a Blade Runner kind of future. Well, so, not with the optimism we just struck today. Right, sure right. I mean, yeah. it's definitely a lot more positive. So uh, we appreciate you guys joining us today to talk about you know all the details and some of the cool things and, that we're working on. And just to be clear for people in my generation, what are the Jetsons again? Uh, that's right, that's <laughs> right. It is a little dated. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. But uh, anyway, it sounds like a pretty positive future that we have. And although we won't be flying Im- immediately, we'll be grounded and, uh, and, and working the curves. And will be down there by the curves. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you being with us today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.